you're listening to the Davenport Junior Theater Podcast. Welcome back to the Davenport Junior Theater Podcast, the podcast where we explore the past, understand the present, and dream of the future. Today on the podcast, we have Denny Hitchcock. So I'll just have you introduce yourself and tell a little bit about who you are first. Okay. I'm Denny Hitchcock, uh, producer at Circa 21 Dinner Playhouse in Rock Island, Illinois. Awesome. Well, welcome to the podcast, Denny. Thank you. So what was the theater scene like in the Quad Cities before you founded Circa 21? Well, we moved here in 1969, then we opened the theater in 77. But through that whole time, uh, there were more theaters at that time than there were for many, many years. And of course, now the theater scene has picked up tremendously around here. But at that time, there were the four colleges, uh, Augustana, St. Ambrose, Mary Crest, Blackhawk, and Scott Community College. I guess that's five. Uh, and then the uh, the community theaters were Genesius Guild, who's of course been around forever, mm-hmm. as has Music Guild, Richmond Hill, and Playcrafters. And then there was Davenport Junior Theater. Uh, and it was uh, it was an exciting time then. And of course, now we have many, many more. And then some of these have closed. Unfortunately, two of these colleges have closed. There was a long period where, where there wasn't very much going on, and then it kind of exploded. Mm-hmm. So how did Circa 21 come to be? I know it has a rich history before it became Circa 21. Well, it's a really long story. So I'll try and give you the Reader's Digest version. I, I was attending a theater conference in Minneapolis in 1974, I believe. But that's when I was teaching at Augustana, teaching theater at Augustana. And there weren't any sessions that I really cared to go to. Nothing in directing, nothing in acting and theater history. Those are the things that I was teaching. And so I went to one that was about dinner theater. And up to that time, uh, I, along with most people in so-called serious theater, were condescending toward dinner theater, actually toward musicals in general and dinner theater. And uh, so I went to the show, not expecting much. The show was fabulous. The cast was fabulous. And more importantly, the audience just went nuts. It was I Do, I Do, which ran for about 26 or 27 years mm-hmm. at Chan Hasen Dinner Playhouse in a suburb of Minneapolis. That just seemed like the thing, the perfect thing to do. Then I attended another conference in New York, a, a theater business conference. And there was, uh, there was one session on dinner theaters there. And they were talking about the places where they were most successful around the country. And it seemed pretty much as though they were describing the Quad Cities. Mm-hmm. The only difference was they weren't all full of 15 different cities, 15 different uh, municipalities. But anyway, then uh, that, that just sort of stuck in the back of my mind. Then I didn't get tenure at Augie, I was told because I didn't have a PhD. Mm-hmm. And so then it seemed kind of logical to go back to this other interest that had been piqued by my attending the theater in Chanhassen, Minnesota. So then I started uh, checking around and looking at locations. And a friend of mine from Augie, a former colleague, was at that time a real estate agent. And uh, he and his, uh, his uh, the owner of the company, David Weiner, that was Bob Swanson, who's now the, uh, or was the athletic director at Rocky High. Mm-hmm. And they showed me lots of different places. And they called one day and they said, you know, the, the fourth theater downtown Rocky High said, he said, well, we think we can get it. And all the other places we were looking at, and, and most of the 15 theaters that I attended, 15 dinner theaters I attended before we got open, 
didn't look like they had been theaters for very long. Mm -hmm. You know, it was something converted. And this seemed to be the ideal place. So we moved forward here. Then that meant finding investors. Right. Uh, so we got all that together. And I got in touch with a theater architect from New York City. And he came out and designed this incredible space for us, taking a little bit of the old Oaks restaurant in Milan, uh, getting rid of some, keeping some. And it was a gorgeous place. The problem was it came in at two and a half million dollars and we were looking at no more than a million and we only had about 300,000. So then we started looking for a specific, well, we, we gave that up and began looking for a specific building for the sole purpose of, of having the theater. And that's when we came upon the Ford Theater. And then finding money, the additional money besides our investors was also really a chore because nobody felt that, that it had any legs. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I saw at least five bankers and uh, none of them were interested. One who at the time was the president of uh, uh, the Rock Island Bank gave me about 60 seconds. Oh. And uh, then Ted Miller, who at the time was executive vice president, it was the first national bank of Rock Island, was very interested. And he was the reason that we got open. He arranged uh, our SBA loan or arranged to get us to the, the Small Business Administration in Chicago to start the uh, process for our SBA loan. He got a friend's plane to take us to Chicago. And uh, ultimately, the loan was approved and we got the money. And in uh, June of 77, fortunately, we were able to open. That's awesome. And it's really longer than that, but I thought that was enough. Right, yeah, that's a great abridged <laughs> version. <laughs> so in those early days, did you know Mary Nicewander and Junior Theater? Well, I think we met Mary about a year or maybe two years after we opened. And, you know, of course, Mary was a legend. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, it, it was a little intimidating because... Everything, everything in theater, except for, well, I guess what, what we heard the most of was the Broadway, Broadway theater, that was at the Adler, mm -hmm. and Mary Nicewander at, at uh, Davenport Junior Theater. But we visited her, the woman who was our stage manager and I, and uh, it was kind of like having an audience with the queen. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we, it was about two weeks be, uh, before we were able to find where our schedules worked together. And... Um, she was really no nonsense. I think, I'm not sure she trusted that we were going to do the kind of work that we should be doing with children's theater. She wanted to be sure that we were really serious about doing it, not just looking at making some money. Mm -hmm. And of course we had to do both and we weren't gonna make any money on it if we weren't serious about it and didn't do a good job. So I think when we gained her confidence, everything was fine. She was, she was helpful, she was receptive and incredible to work with. And I, you're probably too young to have ever met her, aren't you? Yeah. Well, when, you knew when she walked in the room, you know, she was only about five feet or five feet one. Mm -hmm. But when Mary was in the room, you knew she was there. She was a fascinating lady and uh, no nonsense. But I, I really adored her, although we didn't spend a ton of time together. She was very supportive. And I felt that her support was really essential. We started doing children. Our first children's theater show was in 1978. Now we are doing uh, three. Well, I've been doing three a year for a long, long time. But mm -hmm. but Mary was very supportive at the beginning 
And that gave us the confidence, I think, to move forward in going to our three show, three children's show season. So what has the journey been like over these decades for Circa 21? And how have you kept a commercial theater running for so long in the Quad Cities? Good question. The journey has been really rough. We opened in June of 77. So we're on 44 years, starting our 45th soon. There were tons and tons of naysayers at the beginning. There was one businessman who owned uh, most of the uh, billboards around town. His wife wanted to invest. And he said, that place won't be open for six months. We aren't investing in anything like that. And so once we finally got through that and got rolling, we had a, an incredible beginning. And then right off the bat, we had a huge drop in cash flow. What happened with that was one of our partners, who was the general contractor, underbid by $100,000 his portion of the work in restoring the building and converting it to a dinner theater. And we were short $100,000. So when then we had a vote with our board members. He voted no to do it, which would mean closing. Uh, and so we, we got past that hurdle many, many more times along the way where we'd have to borrow money short term, some long term. But we thanks to the wonderful people of the Quad Cities, the theater gods and our incredible staff, we were able to keep pulling through. I, we, we couldn't have made it that long under any circumstances. You know, this kind of life, a life in the arts for someone trained to do it is pretty unusual. Mm -hmm. As you know, most people who do what we do, what you and I were trained to do, don't do what we're doing. Right. <laughs> we're doing something else because there are very, very few jobs. That's been great to be able to give people work, people who are struggling artists, to have work for them, have it work, work for a professional theater in the Quad Cities. And uh, every time, every time we've had those big downturns, the people have been there for us. Mm -hmm. One of them, the worst, was I believe in about 83 or four when the, farm, the bottom fell out of the farm market and five banks wouldn't give us a loan. So there was really nowhere to turn. And then Dan Carmody, who was the head of the uh, downtown development at the time, was able to get through, uh, put together a loan, a low term, low interest loan mm -hmm. that helped us a lot. And then, and I think this gives you an, an idea of the kind of support the wonderful people have had over the years. I got a call from one of our subscribers. She's a lawyer in Geneseo, a lady who uh, passed away at 99, still wow. practicing law. She graduated from University of Illinois Law School when she was 23. No one would hire her but her dad. So she practiced law from the time she was 23 till about a month before her 100th birthday. That's crazy. She called me and she said, Denny, I hear you're having financial problems. I said, well, Mabel, how do, how do you find out about that? You're not supposed to know that. <laughs> she said, well, I have a friend. She said, I want to loan you some money. She said, come up, come out tomorrow and meet me for lunch. So I did. And uh, she had a contract and we signed it. And then we had lunch. That's the last time we talked about it. <laughs> then about a year later, she called me and she said, Denny, I need to change your loan. I thought, okay, it's going up. But she was, uh, she was gracious enough to give us the loan. And she said, prime interest rate has gone down. So I want to lower your interest rate by one point. Wow. Yeah. That's the kind of, that's the kind of people. Uh, and, and she was a subscriber from the very beginning for 42 years. So, and, you know, those people have kept us going. And that's what's, that's what's made the journey 
possible and incredibly rewarding. I've, I've had people ask me how we've kept the theater going over the years. And I finally started saying, because I didn't have a clue what I was doing. <laughs> I have a friend in Des Moines, he's since passed away. He was, he also had his master's degree and he was a musical director for community theater in Des Moines while teaching. And I had my master's degree. I was teaching theater at Augustana and uh, neither one of us had run a business before. And we, we, we agreed that if we knew what we were doing, we would never, ever have lasted as long as we did. Mm-hmm. Because there were times when we should have gone under. We should have closed the doors. But we didn't know any better, so we got them open. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's, uh, that's not the kind of thing that business schools like to hear, right. I don't think. Or theater management uh, programs. I, I, I know it sounds cynical, but it really isn't because we should have been really depressed and downtrodden. And th- there were those times, of course, but okay, so we're down, which means we have to do this. Right. And like I told you before, when we had five banks turn us down, when there was no light at the end of the tunnel, something happened and we got through it. Mm-hmm. So running a theater for so long, have you had any notable funny mishaps, um, mistakes, anything like that have happened at the theater? Yeah, there have been. The first time we did Annie, we got a shelter dog who looked mm-hmm. perfect for the, for the role. We got her at the Geneseo shelter and uh, she was a little shy. So Annie and I went to um, uh, obedience classes with her and she was doing really well. So through the dress rehearsals, she was great. Through our staff preview, she was great. The next night, the Wednesday before we opened, we had our first public preview. So she walked out as she's supposed to do, she stopped turned and looked at the audience, went down the stairs, came out in the audience and went under it and sat under a table. Oh no. Yes. Yeah, so she, we had to replace her and our stage manager uh, was from Wisconsin and her family owned a farm. Mm-hmm. So two weeks later, she took, took the dog to her parents' farm. So she was still rescued and we got all the press. Mm-hmm. We just didn't get a dog that was quite as, as outgoing as we were hoping. That, that was one of the first. I forget the, the name of the show, but we were doing a, a mystery. It was in the winter and it was, it was a really dark scene. And we had a bat fly from the balcony over the audience down and encircled the stage and went back up to the balcony. Wow. And a lot of people thought that that was an effect that we had for the show. Yeah, you couldn't pay for better timing. <laughs> That's right. And of course, it wasn't an effect for the show, but only for that evening. I don't know if you've heard of Roger Miller, but uh, he was pretty, really famous country singer of 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he didn't show up for a concert. Somehow I got the, I got his home number at his ranch in New Mexico. I called and his son said, well, I don't know where he is. I knew he was supposed to be someplace in the Midwest. And we had a full house. Mm-hmm. So we had to go out and tell them that uh, Roger wasn't here. And sorry, we'd have to give them their refunds. Call next week. When we were doing My Fair Lady, the guy playing Colonel Pickering, who was quite heavy. He was about five, five eight, mm-hmm. and literally about 60 inches around. He was sitting in a chair right at the edge of a stage. So it, it gave us more interior room for the scene. And at one point, he just tipped over backwards, stayed in the chair, hit the floor while still sitting in the chair. Oh, no. His, his legs were down the front. His back was where it was supposed to be. He didn't get hurt. But uh, once the audience was over the shock, everybody laughed. Yeah. Uh, another time, we had an actor who got hurt half an hour or so, no, an hour or so before 
curtain. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one of another actor who, from an upcoming show went on stage with a prompter in the pit and went through the show that he hadn't seen. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty tough. Yeah. And then Brad Hoskins, who has been with us for a long, long time, mm -hmm. who does everything. Brad has gone in to shows in an emergency, emergency situation, I would think probably at least 20 times. Oh, wow. Sometimes it's been, you know, a couple of weeks. Brad so-and-so is leaving. Can we do it a couple of days? One time it was about 10 minutes. We had an actor have a panic attack about 10 minutes before curtain. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went and talked to Brad. He was working the floor as a waiter, as one of our bootleggers. He was on stage. I think we held a curtain for about four or five minutes. He was on stage and did the show that night. That's what Brad is. That's what Brad does. He's mm -hmm. always there in those kinds of situations. The, the last one that comes to mind right off the bat, Phyllis Diller was here. You probably haven't heard of her either, have you? I've heard of her, yeah. Okay. Uh, for those who haven't, she was an incredibly famous female comedian, one of the first. She kind of broke the ground for everybody else, mm -hmm. all the other female comedians. Well, she was performing here, and our director of honesty development picked her up to attend a party at the Black Hawk Hotel. The manager of the hotel at the time was a friend of hers from California who had moved back here. So he was hosting a reception. There were about eight of us, Phyllis, and this gentleman and his wife. And so when, when this guy picked her up, uh, she told him she was sick and she wasn't sure she'd be able to stay the whole time. The party was at 7.30. At quarter after one, I went over and excused my, you know, no one wanted to leave before she did. She should leave the party first and then the rest of us go. And I went over and apologized. I said, Phyllis, Carolyn, Carol, I have to leave. I have to be to work in the morning, but thank you so much. And it's been a pleasure. Mm -hmm. And, um, Later, we found out, of course, that that meant that if the party was boring or too many people were asking for autographs or photos, she had an out. Uh. She was sick, so, mm -hmm. so she had to leave. I, I don't have any idea what time she left, but I left a quarter after one from a 7.30 party. It was going to take about two hours. Oh, gosh. So she was comfortable. Yeah, well, that's good at least. Yeah, which was really wonderful. Well, then I know you, you mentioned her and the country singer, but have you had any other notable celebrities you've met? Any favorites? We've had a ton and I jotted some names down. We, we had Doc Severinsen in who was Johnny Carson's musical director. And Doc was a fabulous man to work with. After the show, we were chatting and he gave me his business card. And he said, if you ever need a recommendation, have them call me. I love playing here. And if I can help you, I'd be happy to. And if, if you lose my card, just call me at Johnny's office, mm -hmm. Johnny Carson's office. And uh, so we called, we called Tony Bennett and his, his manager said, Mr. Bennett doesn't play dinner theaters. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, Doc Severinsen told me if I ever needed a recommendation, he said, Doc's played at your theater. I said, yes. He said, well, Mr. Bennett doesn't play dinner theaters. That was it. Two weeks later, I got a phone call. Mr. Hitchcock, this is so-and-so Tony Bennett's manager. We'd like to play your room. And they did. Now, Tony was a major, well, his career began when I was in high school. He mm -hmm. became a big star when I was in high school. And so I was incredibly intimidated by him being here. Because here I was, I don't, I don't know, I was maybe 32 years old. Tony Bennett was coming to my theater. That was just astounding to me. So we got here, he was very gracious. And uh, we, we, we had a, a, a dinner for him, a private dinner. There were nine or 10 of us there. And he and my wife started talking 
about his dyslexia and dyslexia that his daughter has. Mm -hmm. So what was so nice, he wasn't telling us about when he was on the Johnny Carson show or when he did, when he played Carnegie Hall for the 50th time. (laughs) It was the father talking to a teacher about a problem that he and his kid have. Right. And then the other thing with Tony, the second time he was here, I went up to his dressing room to thank him for the wonderful show and for playing for so much less money than he was used to getting. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I knocked on his dressing room door and he said, come on. And I opened the door and he was there as was a lady friend of his. I didn't know she was there. I said, oh, excuse me. I'll, I'll see you later. No, no, Denny, come on in. And then he said, Anna, I'd like you to meet my boss, Denny. Well, yeah, Tony Bennett, my <laughs> boss, Denny. And but that was the kind of guy that he was. Let me go back, back to my list here. because I don't I don't want to miss anybody, but I also don't want to. Uh, I don't want to take too long with it. Right. So I'll go quickly. Bob Hope, Ed McMahon, Roseanne Barr, Dennis Miller, Mickey Rooney, Larry Gatlin, Jeff Daniels, Don McLean, Smothers Brothers, Davy Jones of the Monkees, Bo Diddley, Carl Perkins, Bill Monroe, Johnny Rivers, Marie Osma, John Schneider, Phyllis Diller, Dave Brubeck, Dizzy Gillespie, Louis Belson, Doc Severinsen, Bobby Bear, Charlie Bird, Anthony, oh, uh, Anthony, then I met Anthony Quinn, Brooke Shields, Burt Young, and several others. But th- those were the concert people. Mm-hmm. I met those three by casting movies. And then some of the people who worked here, who became celebrities in our business were directors, Phil McKinley, who was living in the Quad Cities for a while and was a student of mine at Augie, directed two things on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Susan Stroman, who was one of the, has won more Tonys than almost any other director, Tony uh, uh, for directing and choreography. And then Casey Nicola, the same thing. Casey worked here as an actor, Susan directed, and Phil acted, directed, and choreographed. And then many other people along the way. So that it, it's, it's been really exciting, too, to see people like those and then lots of the actors who have gone on to have really successful careers. So, yeah, and, and, and there have been lots of other uh, concert artists we've had in. But there was a period about 15, 18 years ago when fees started to go up beyond what, what we could afford to pay mm-hmm. so the audience could still afford it. That's when we switched to tribute acts. So in going back and looking over our concert attractions over the years, we had lots of, lots of exciting people. When I went back and looked at it, I was really impressed by, yeah. by, by this many stars. Yeah, absolutely. That is quite an impressive list. I've been lucky enough to work with Phil also. So. Yeah. Yeah. Phil too is a tornado, just like, mm-hmm. just like Mary. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so can you talk about what value that live theater has um, for community over say the movies? You know, it, it, it's hard to be objective about that. Right. Because that's what we're providing. That's what we do. And that's what that's what I love to do. But we have the excitement of sharing this this visceral experience with another live person. If you're on stage, I can feel what you're doing. I can hear your voice, not through the speaker like on on my computer, uh, but live and in person. And I can I can. I can sense what you're feeling as a performer and what the performer is sending to me. So, so there's this constant give and take that you can't get Mm -hmm. really in in any other performance medium. Um, And then also, I think it's nice for people who are, who are attending, who are doing shows in in their hometowns and uh, with friends and family around or in school. So your friends can See, you automatically get great feedback from that. And it's nice for the friend to say, hey, that's Emma. I know her. Right. <laughs> and she's the star of this show. Uh, and it, of course, it, it um, I don't know, it just, it, it, it's a huge sense of pride 
for those people. And uh, it provides an incredible experience for everybody participating and those of us in, in the audience. And at the time we can entertain, educate, challenge them to think about an issue that, well, yes, you can find a challenge in a movie or in some other medium, but mm -hmm. not with live people standing in front of you, singing, dancing, or, or talking to you. Right. So we talked a little bit beforehand about the kids shows offered by Circa 21, but uh -huh. would you be able to dive a little deeper into those? Yeah. Um, we do three, we do three kids shows a year, one in this uh, spring, which we gear toward third to fifth graders and usually uh, a play that's been adapted to a book that they read. Mm -hmm. And we found that that works very well for us. We used to do all fairy tale kinds of things and uh, the audience kind of got, got done with those, kind of got burned out on those. So about that time, some of the really famous ser series started like Junie B. Jones or Miss Nelson. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then in the summer, we, we do a show which we gear toward uh, preschool to about fourth or fifth graders. Uh, the preschool kids often can't come to the, sh to the other shows. So that's a perfect time for them. And then the, there are the, um, the, the summer camps and, and summer daycare programs. So, that, so they have a chance then to come and see those shows. And then our holiday children's show, which starts right after Thanksgiving and runs till just a bit after Christmas, mm -hmm. that's geared for the whole family and for, for the children up to probably junior high. But I think anybody can appreciate those. And we found that formula works pretty well, except during a pandemic. Right. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work very well then. Uh, and we, we do have, we have changed our schedule a little bit. So we, uh, we, dropped, we dropped Madagascar, unfortunately, which we've done before and was really successful. But this summer, we're going to do Elephant and Piggies. We oh. are in a play. Uh, it's the, the author is, is very famous and he has a series of shows. It's a small cast. And so we're, we're excited about that. And then uh, Susical, which you're supposed to do this summer too, we postponed till Christmas. Yeah. And I think Susical would work for any age. Oh, absolutely. I love Susical even. <laughs> and the nice thing about the kids shows, besides being able to do them and offer the experience to children, they've never lost money. Hmm. So that's the win-win with children's right. shows. The kids love them. We love doing them. The parents like bringing them in and we can still make some money. Mm -hmm. So you spoke a little bit just now about the pandemic, but what has Circa been like since the pandemic hit and how have you continued to find ways to provide the community with such quality entertainment? Scary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's been really scary. Uh, and, you know, it, but it has for everybody. It's been freaky for everybody. Uh, no one in the world has a frame of reference. Right. And uh, so we don't. Uh, and and in our case, we you know we have paid deposits for shows. I think we had about sixty thousand dollars in deposits paid out. Uh, some of them we couldn't get back at that time. You know they're, they're starting to come in now. Mm -hmm. Worried about whether the guests will be here when we come back, not knowing when we're going to come back. But um, you know we we through that whole time when we were moving shows, calling people and changing, calling them a second time. In one case, calling them a third time. When people, we expected them to be really upset, almost everybody understood. Mm -hmm. That, of course, was really reassuring. And through that process, many of them said, if, if they, like, for example, we, we have lots of snowbirds, and uh, some of them weren't able to come then when we moved the shows into this coming winter. So mm -hmm. they said, just keep that money. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll do anything we, we can to keep you going. 
and people buying gift certificates, even though they didn't have a clue when we were going to reopen. Right. So, so that's helped make it all more confident that we, we would be able to move forward. Mm-hmm. And then last fall, we were able to do a show. We, we did Savannah Sipping Society right. for eight work, eight weeks. And so coming back now uh, with uh, Church Basement Ladies being open and scheduled forward with the numbers going down and everybody getting shots, mm-hmm. more and more confidence that we will be here in four, in 88 years, right. <laughs> 44 more years. And you know, too, everybody is telling us how excited they are to come back. Mm-hmm. That the comment cards the first week, almost every single one had something to the effect of, oh, we're so glad you're back. It's right. so nice to be back again. And then one couple said, it's wonderful to be back. This is the first time we've gone out except for groceries in a year. Wow. And they came here. Mm-hmm. How exciting is that? And you guys also had music on the marquee um, early in the pandemic. Yeah, we we had several. Um, a- after, after Savannah... Um, we had, uh, well, actually, starting last uh, April, we started talking about it. What, when we closed Kinky Boots mm-hmm. on, the thir- on the 14th of March, then two days later, we, we shut down. And we were going to reopen uh, on April 15th. Well, when that didn't happen, then uh, Bobby and Ashley Becker, Tristan Tap- Tapscott, Khalil Hacker, and several other people uh, started coming up with ideas and doing shows. And so we've had, we've had, five, we've had several shows in the speakeasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, regular shows, then, and then some of the shows that we that we did ourselves. We've had five stream shows: Home for the Holidays, for the Holidays, of course. Mm-hmm. Raise Your Glass for New Year's Eve, Valentine's Day, Let's Fall in Love. Uh, Tristan Tapscott and Danny White's Big Rock Candy Mountain mm-hmm. was done in here in the Speakeasy and live stream. And then the music on the marquee, which you mentioned, was outside on top of the marquee in the summer. We did that twice, mm-hmm. and that was one of the most exciting things because nobody thought that they would be back right. for a show for a long, long time. And I forgot who came up with the idea, but it was a fabulous idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got amazing response to that. And for those of you who haven't been here, we have a marquee that's about 12 feet off the ground that's flat. And we had microphones on that. The actors would enter from a window that came from a lounge area on the second floor onto the top of the marquee and uh we had about 100 people here we served food and it was it was like a summer festival yeah, in two yeah. hours so those are exciting and we're hoping to do one of those again this coming summer and make it a tradition yeah i was gonna say that'd be fun pandemic or no pandemic just being outside yeah. yep and the venue is different you know 12 feet in the air Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so we know that we know your kind of history with Circa 21, but what are some things that people don't really know about you? If you have any hidden hobbies, passions, talents, anything like that? Well, my beautiful wife, Carolyn, and I moved here in 1969 for one year. So in 1970, we were supposed to leave. I was on a one-year replacement contract. Well, uh, one of my colleagues completed his PhD work. Anyway, we, we didn't leave. So that, that was the really first unusual thing. Hobbies, I raised sled dogs. Mm-hmm. My son and I raised sled dog teams. I've done that for a long, 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 long time. So your grandkids are involved in junior theater, right? My granddaughter Kaylee granddaughter. is. And uh, she has done lots and lots of shows around the area. And she was nervous, as was her mom, my daughter, Darcy, about uh, her doing a show with us because it's a huge commitment. Right. Uh, we have two weeks rehearsal and then eight weeks of performances, five times a week. 
Uh, one of those is a matinee during school time. Rehearsals, a lot of them were doing school time. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so she did it and loved it. And uh, then she she had to write a paper for her for her teacher uh, for having missed the classes. Mm -hmm. uh, when uh, when they told me about it, her dad asked me if I'd helped her write it. Oh wow! And it, it sounded like I may have because all the things that she said in this particular paper were things that teachers tell students: you do this and this will happen. You do this and this will happen. Mm -hmm. They were they were enumerated there in her paper. But it, uh, she said, so it's more important than what I say, that uh, the whole time was incredibly exciting for her. It, she was really shy and reserved. Now she's more confident. She, it's easier for her to make friends, easier for her to meet people, more outgoing in groups. Mm -hmm. um, and just all around was a changed person by having been in that one show. Wow. You know, what, what we do and take for granted for the kids, it's it's a whole new world, mm -hmm. and uh, I think that's that's what the kids are getting from from junior theater, and have since, all, like nineteen oh one when when Mary started it, or whatever year that was. Uh, all, all of those things are are just so important, and that's what they get out of theater, and that's fortunately is what my granddaughter Kaylee said that she got out of doing the show for us. And she since has done many more and she's been more confident in auditions. She doesn't ask me to help her on auditions anymore and uh, goes in and has a good time. And she was just cast as one of the leads in her uh, middle school play oh, at Pleasant awesome. Valley. So, what types of um, programs has your granddaughter done at junior theater? Has she done classes or just shows? I don't know. <laughs> I know she's done tons of shows and I know she did two shows when we were out of town. I believe one of those was, was at junior theater, but, but I, I don't, I don't remember. Okay. I do know that she's taken a couple of classes though, mm -hmm. but, and, and she liked those, but, but I don't recall what, what they were. So I know you talked a little bit about this, but why would you say programs like junior theater matter? All of those skills, all of those skills that, that, that you learn in that kind of a program that's, that covers dance and acting and directing and scene design, those different aspects of theater will help kids become more confident. We know that music helps with math. There were lots of studies about that. If someone, if, if someone is a good musician, the chances are that will help their math skills. And storytelling, that's actually all, all actually what we do for a living is tell right. stories. That carries on into English and, and English helps here. So there's all those crossovers. But I think that the major thing is self-confidence and finding something for which you have a passion. So we have an exciting year upcoming at Circuit, sounds like. So can you talk a little bit about what audiences can look forward to in this upcoming season? Yeah, we, we, we really have. I'm very excited about it, Emma. Um, we, we did change it a little bit because mm -hmm. um, we knew we couldn't do really big shows. Right. With, with having a limited audience, uh, it's impossible for us to do a big show and even come close to breaking even. So we, we did keep Saturday Night Fever, but uh, let me let me start with where we are with uh, right now, and then go into our new season. Sounds good. So two weeks ago, we, we opened Church Basement Ladies Seven. Uh, we've done nine now, or eight of those, counting uh, or one of them twice. And then we go into Beehive, which is a show uh, with with six ladies, songs of the '60s, and then Saturday Night Fever, followed then by by Disenchanted. Mm -hmm. That is the story of the 
of the, of the uh, princesses as they really feel about the way they're depicted. I, I think people will see actors that they wouldn't expect to be playing, for example, Snow White. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hilarious. And then after Disenchanted in the fall, we are bringing back Winter Wonderland, which we were right. supposed to do last year. Right. We got that to the point of getting ready to open and we had to shut down. So we're bringing that back for this Christmas. Uh, that's an original, very warm, charming show. Mm -hmm. Following that from England, the longest, uh, longest running comedy in the US, the play that goes wrong. Yeah. It's exactly as it sounds. Everything goes wrong. It's, it's hilarious. So that takes us up to the end of this current season. And in another couple of months, we'll have our season beginning in uh, June or May of, uh, of 2020, 2022. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy day to be part of the podcast. Well, thank you, Emma. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I, again, want to encourage the people at Junior Theater to keep up the good work and appreciate Daniel. He's done an amazing job. Yeah. Absolutely. This has been the Davenport Junior Theater Podcast. Thanks for listening.